What's up, world? It's your boy Triple D back with another recap episode of Lovecraft Country, episode three, Holy Ghost. How you been? How you holding up? How did you do with this one? At this point, it's getting redundant to say that this show is wild, but I'm going to say it again. This show is wild. My goodness. Let's dive in. So the episode picks up with a church service, which initially seems like, um, You would think it would be the funeral for Uncle George, who unfortunately didn't make it at the end of the last episode. But in fact, it was pretty much just a regular church service. We're dealing with a shout section. We get Letitia, who's still clearly coping with the fallout of previous events. We don't know how much time has passed yet, but I honestly thought this would have been the funeral scene. I figured this would be immediate fallout. But uh, we find out later that it is actually not, that some time has passed. We go right into sort of a title screen, followed by a welcoming message that states, In the summer of 1955, a group of Negro men and women moved into a house on the north side of Chicago. Ten days later, three people went missing inside the house, never to be seen again. And at this point, I immediately thought, like, are we dealing with sort of an anthology type series? Because it felt like it was taking a turn of we dealt with what we dealt with in the first two episodes. Now we're going a compl- we're going in a completely different direction. And I wouldn't be mad at an anthology series the way this this show has been going. Uh, it's a bit chaotic, like I've said in the past, but I was hoping for a long term story. As being a person who hasn't read the, the original content, uh, I don't really know what to expect. We get the next shot starting off with Letty and Ruby walking down a street. Um, being peered on by uh, white neighborhood folks trying to figure out what these two black women are doing walking down the street. And we get the bomb drop that Letitia has bought a house for her and her sister to live there pretty cheap. And it seems pretty far-fetched because we don't know where Letty has gotten this money. So Ruby is, is clearly skeptical. It's wild that she could just pop up with the money for this house out of nowhere. And the house is a little busted. Not, you know, keeping it 100. The house is a little dusty. It's a little busted. Uh, but, you know, Letty is optimistic. And we see that she's she's trying to make amends for everything that's happened between her and her family, um, her sister specifically. And um, she, she just sort of wants to make things right. So begrudgingly and with caution, um, Ruby decides, you know what? Let's give it a shot. We'll make it work. I get the biggest room. We're going to see what we can do. But before we leave that scene, we get some foreshadowing. Um, Letty decides to try and surprise her and show her that this house has an elevator in it, which for that that time period is actually kind of a baller move because ain't too many houses today got elevators in them. And we get our first uh, our first instance of something ain't right when at first the elevator gets kind of stuck on the floor and uh, slams down to the bottom floor, almost taking Letty's head off foreshadowing at its best from there we go back to the south side and uh we see that we see that hippolyte is still clearly in pain from losing george and um is trying to cope best way she she knew how which unfortunately seemed like uh kind of bottling everything up which is sad on many levels like i've stated in previous episodes counseling was not as normal as it was back then and i'm also fairly confident um the same way the past few years it's been more and more normalized in the black community i'm pretty sure it was super frowned upon back then 
also, I'm pretty sure there's there was a ton of things underlining with women just being told to bottle up whatever they were dealing with more so back then, which is it's just an all around bad look for her trying to come to grips with this this tragedy. Uh, we get Tick downstairs, apparently burning up breakfast, trying to do his best to be a good nephew and and help them out, considering um he was with Uncle George at the very end. While this is going on, we get a, a quick moment of Hippolyta just finally getting to let a little bit of frustration out. She finds George's uh, copy of Dracula and she just starts ripping the pages out, which is a really rough scene because I'm sure she wants to, she, it just seems like she wants to just let loose. She wants to scream. She wants to maybe tear some stuff up, but she got to keep it together for the family, um, which is rough because she should be allowed to, to let that stuff out and, and vent and cleanse but she she kept it together um one thing i i, I don't know if y'all saw it but did y'all peep the the can of murray's grease on the on the on, the, <laughs> on her cabinet because i did stuck out like a sore thumb uh i like little stuff like that i wonder if anybody else saw that so it's at the end of this scene we get a transition of um tick pretty much breaking the news to d that he's not actually gonna uh stay any longer he's not going to stay for the night uh he's been kind of helping out trying to keep things together for them and um he's doing his best but he's also stepping on some toes uh we find out later that she, he's not <laughs> letting the the dishes dry the way that she would prefer um she's also he's also kind of stepping on toes with the with the with the travel guide where he went ahead and kind of sent off uh some of the pages without her um signing off on them uh, which I think I'm sure came from a place of trying to help, but also like it's technically not his responsibility and um, to do it without even consulting her is, is a bit much. He showed a little bit of the time because he's always been respectful, but he did kind of play it off to the like, it looked fine to me, so it's all good. So we would find out later that Tick is actually going to be on heading his way back to Florida because uh, he told his boss he needed uh, a few days off to come, you know, figure out what was going on with his father. And that turned into about a month. <laughs> so, you know, kudos to his job for letting him uh, do that because nowadays that would never happen. So he decides to stop home real quick to see if he could uh, stay at his father's place for a moment. And he finds his dad kind of we find Montrose is kind of blacked out talking in his sleep and he's he's having a dream about an incident that happened with him and George in the past involving um somebody coming through with a bat swinging like Jackie Robinson that got them out of some trouble and this was actually a direct callback to the opening dream sequence that Tick has um with Jackie Robinson coming down to help him with Cthulhu attacking and uh, that was a really dope thing that I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people caught because uh we find out that it's not just it's not completely an overactive imagination, but it's actually his imagination coupled with a story that he heard from his uncle and his father. So that was that was really cool. This is where we find out that they they covered up what happened to George. Uh, they pretty much tell everybody that the racist cop shot George. They killed the racist cop and they've just been kind of keeping their head down. And um, it's a rough thing to do, but. Makes perfect sense considering the fact that who in the world would believe they've been attacked by monsters. They had to deal with wizards. One of them helped open a portal to the to the Garden of Eden. It they'd all get locked up and committed. 
Like it, it would be a bad, bad situation. And the scene turns tense because, you know, Tick is clearly missing his uncle George and he, he wants to, to tell the truth. He wants to tell what really happened. And, uh, we get some really strong acting from Michael Kenneth Williams, which is not a shocker at all. It's, it's what he does before Tick just kind of storms out. Um, that's, that's all the goodbye he needs. So from there, we go back to the north side where Letty has more people moving in and she's taking pictures um, just to kind of document it. Ruby is <laughs> rubying it up. She's not here for the game. She just want to make sure these people stay out of her way and out of her face. From there, we get a brief reunion between Atticus and Letty. And uh, it's immediately awkward, which rightfully so, considering everything they've been through. It makes perfect sense that... um. Things are a little a little weird. I, I don't know how you come back from the weirdest road trip of all time and expect things to be hunky dory. And they both played this very well. It's also here that we find out that it's been about three weeks since the events of uh, the previous two episodes when Letty says, you know, you've been checking on me since the funeral. And that was about three weeks ago. So Tick, this is where Tick drops a bomb. Not necessarily. This is where Tick pretty much informs her that um he's getting ready to head back to to Florida to, I guess, do his best to return to normalcy. And uh, she offers him a room. There's one room that hasn't been completely uh, booked just yet uh, if he'd like to stay. And we get our weekly dose of Racism Supreme where we start hearing car horns. We see three white boys standing outside in front of their cars, just staring, uh, just just giving the looks like, what are you doing here? We want you out of here. Just, uh, I, I, I was, I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think I could deal with this level of racism. It's just so thick. Even, it, this is acting. Like, I could only imagine the, the real life thickness. They got bricks taped to their their car horns and they just parked in front of the house. And you even get a a sly reference of the police officers just passing by and giving their looks like, you know what it is. We with them. And we start the next scene with everybody putting signs in their yards that say white neighborhood undesirables must leave. Just in your face racism, just in its its thickness. And shout out to whoever wrote this and whoever shot this, because this scene Starts off almost as if someone's playing with Letty. She's in the bed and you see the sheets being pulled. And in most cases, this would be one of two things. This would be Ruby or another housemate messing with her or maybe Tick showing up to to maybe like, you know, see what's cracking. That is immediately dispelled when we get hands down from my viewpoint, the most horrible looking thing I've seen in a daylight setting. It's so unsettling. It's so unnerving. And to be, to deal with this level of gore on a sunny morning shot is bold and it, it shouldn't work like this stuff is that's, that's dead of night, dark screen type stuff. The oof, rough. It was it, one of those things just like, okay, I'm not prepared for this to take the the complete horror route, but but here we are. Clearly, this house is haunted, and they they kind of they kind of add to that tension when Letty goes down to, I guess, the bottom of the of a house where the furnace is, and there's some weird stuff going on with that. 
Um, but that's kind of passed off as maybe some some racist whiteies then snuck into the house and messed with it. So while that scene ends with with a bit more awkwardness between Letitia and, and Tick, uh, we cut to day eight uh, where there's a house party going on and uh, it's, it's jumping. Letty's doing her, her hostess thing, pouring drinks, uh, cutting up with folks. And uh, we get a we get a really cool little bit of dialogue where they're talking about um, a new civil rights activist who now goes by the name of Martin. And uh, has been rumored to be have been in an entanglement with a white woman to which uh, we get the, the comment. Uh, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, you can be in love with a white woman and still be down for the cause, I guess, which there's so many layers to that, especially in today's climate, because, uh, yeah, that was an in, that was an interesting, interesting choice of a phrase with, with, with everything that's happening today and what some people believe and what some people don't believe. We got Ruby blazing the stage setting the setting the mood and uh upstairs we get the first and last time uh in recorded history of black people playing with a ouija board and this was this was a a wild scene because my first thought was like okay black people nowadays no we don't we don't do ouija boards i'm mm -mm. and um this was it was a tough scene to watch especially with d and her still dealing with the the outlook of her father we get we get a real creepy moment on two levels where the first thing where the first child asks um am i going to have a good time on my trip the ouija board says no shout out to my group chat my group chat picked up on something that i did not shout out to carlos from the plp podcast and and conversations with carlos d because i did not pick up on the fact that the little boy who asked, am I going to have fun on my trip and got the answer? No, was Emmett Till. I, that went right over my head, probably because I was so creeped out and stuff. I missed stuff, but that was, that was a dope, dope insertion and just an amazing, but also like grim, um, inclusion. One of the next questions we get is someone, one of the kids asks, who am I talking to? And the Ouija board spells out George, which is so rough for D because nobody wants to see this and she shouldn't have to be dealing with this. So while Hippolyta is on the search for D, uh, we get her dealing with some of whatever these ghosts are in the house, uh, calling out the name Diana and a door conveniently opening to, I wish I knew what that was on the table, but it looked pretty important and also kind of interesting so i got a feeling whatever that thing is that we see uh we have we've yet to see the last of it i hope i'm guessing whatever this is is going to be the driving force behind hippolyta's story so that cuts to i think for me one of my favorite little inclusions into this especially as a kid who grew up watching cartoons uh we get a, re a rendition of the actual song is you is or is you ain't my baby, uh, which if you're old enough to have seen enough Tom and Jerry cartoons, it it was it was cool. Like it was I really enjoyed that, which sets up um, probably a, I'm sure a lot of other people's <laughs> favorite scene of this particular episode. Uh, we get the entrance of uh, of Tick, who's kind of doing guard duty in his uniform. And uh, we get to see we get to see serviceman Tick who comes in. 
uh, for, you know, quick little break and sees uh, Letty dancing and uh, we get the uh, the reintroduction of a tree. I guess one of their childhood acquaintances. I'm not going to call him a friend because tree seems like a dick, just like straight up a dick. He comes up talking trash. Um, he sees there's clearly something between the two of them. And uh, he feels the need to drop that uh, they quote unquote used to tussle back in the day. But he also does it to kind of kind of nudge tick to like, go for it, man. Like y'all clearly got something going like you need to you need to go for it. And this is where things get even more tense. Um, we got Letty who kind of sees Tick seeing her and she decides to, to kind of turn up the show just a bit. Now, I don't know if this was her being like, you missed out or her being like, this could be you, but you playing. So from there, we get Letty going to the bathroom and uh, we get the the good old classic uh, mirror scare where we don't see it well excuse me where letty doesn't see it but there's something in the reflection of the mirror and for a second you think she does see it but she actually sees tick in the mirror and um they get a a stare and uh no games had are, are played it goes down in the bathroom and it was a super intense scene which i wouldn't mind seeing someone's take on I guess just the aggressiveness of it. This one's definitely consensual, um, especially in comparison to the the illusion scene that we saw, which that took a hard left. And um, like I said, this goes down. Well, we also got to think about the time frame, which is I had no choice but to think about because I, I do remember the, all the talks of Insecure when all those sex scenes went. Mono condoms back then. This was just like things it went down. I've said that 15 times, but what else is there to say? Um, it's quick. I, I mean, it, it's fast. I, I hope everyone got what they, what they wanted. And we get, we get some immediate awkwardness because, uh, Tick looks down and, um, there's, uh, there's some blood to which, uh, she kind of plays off as, um, well, we initially find out she initially plays it off as, uh, the monthly cycle to which Tick handles beautifully. He's like, Hey, it's all right. It happens. It's no big deal. He, he handled that very well. Journey Smollett has been, she, she's going for it all in every episode. And I, I hope, I hope people already have taken notice of how great of an actor she is. This has to be the undeniable proof that she needs to be brought up in more conversations, period. And uh, we get her dealing with initially what we think is, and it's all, and of course it's all open for interpretation. We get the, I, I, I thought it was just the, the, the emotional crash of everything that's happened and the fact that it's happened so fast and the fact that neither one of them know where this is going. But then we get our nightly dose of racism and we get us a, a good old cross burning on their front lawn. Yeah, the whites are playing hardball now with just a straight up cross burning. And it's immediately preceded by hands down, probably one of the dopest scenes I've seen in recent television history of Letty just grabbing the bat, putting her foot down with the statement of, yeah, ain't going to be no backing down over here. And Tick goes and grabs the shotties. The boys line up. They form there. They they post up. 
the best thing about this from my vantage point was that one, they hear the, they hear the sirens coming. Ruby grabs the car, uh, pulls up and I'm thinking they're all going to hop in and dip. No. And this, this is just like, just brilliant and just how cohesive black people were back then. She pulls up, they throw the shotguns in the trunk and Ruby drives off. So this way, if somebody says they had shotguns, they, they can't prove it because they're not on the ground. And two, no one stopped Letty from bashing in those windows and knocking those bricks off of those car horns. It, they just, this is what it is. This is what you, if this is what you about, this is what we about. They just let it go. And, um, surprise, surprise, the police arrest them. The police also have to assert their racism because, you know, <laughs> it's the times that they that they were living in. And, uh, those police officers, uh, wore their racism right next to their badge, if not on top of it. And in the midst of this, this horrible car ride, we also get the bomb drop that this, this house, they felt this house shouldn't have been sold for one. And well, for one, because they felt like, of course, they don't want black people in the neighborhood, but more specifically because they found the body parts of dead black people scattered through the house. So the fact that it was sold was surprising to, you know, not just to a black person, but that was sold, period. So after Letty's unfortunate uh, rough ride in the back of the paddy wagon, uh, we get my theory getting my my long term theory. If you've been listening, getting blown to bits in the the season trailer for the upcoming episodes, um, we see this particular darkroom scene in pieces where Letty's pulling down photos and she clearly sees something inside the photos. And like I said, my initial thought was that she was going to see the pictures of Tick as something else, something more sinister. Uh, While it is something sinister, it's not my theory. Uh, What ends up happening is she sees markings on every image and she arranges them on the floor. And these images turn into a face, a scary, terrifying face that turn into physical form and scream at her to get out of the house. So we cut to the next day. People are leaving and, um, Ruby's telling her, like, what are we going to do? Like the people that you uh, brought here, they're they're leaving because on top of the fact that they think it's haunted, it's too hot. The neighborhood, the neighborhood is entirely too hot. We find out that Letty was able to buy the house and that they'd be fine because they had more money to cover it was because their mother left Letty money. And this drives this this forces the wedge back between them. Because as we've stated in previous episodes, Letty hasn't been the best family member. It's been stated on multiple occasions that she's kind of flighty. She's been asking them for help with money. She what she didn't come to her own mother's funeral. So, you know, it, it's obvious that Ruby would feel a way about her being left a ton of money when she wasn't really there for the family. And um, Ruby has has every right to be upset because to a degree from what we've heard, we haven't seen too much of it directly. We only have her family's word to go off of. Letty's selfish. She's about herself. Um, she she gets into these situations. Well, in the past, she's gotten into situations that she's needed help getting out of, and she only looks out for herself. And it was a rough scene because, you know, clearly Ruby is has gotten herself together, and she's trying to get herself even further together by working real jobs and, you know, finding stability while Letty kind of 
she kind of drifts through it, fumbling along the way and people being there to bail her out. And she she has a, a strong, undeniable point that Letty could have easily stared that money with her and her brother, but she didn't. She she didn't even say a word. And on it, and it clearly she wasn't going to say a word until it slipped out. And as much as we, we want to love Letty, that's messed up. It's, it's a messed up thing to do to your family. From there, we get a really quick scene between Montrose and Hippolyta. Um, he him coming by to, you know, pretty much say hi and maybe help D with her swing. And we get a conversation where Hippolyta's she's you know as we stated she's frustrated and she wants to know what happened because the story that she was given it seems a bit too too perfect it's too it's too neatly wrapped again you can't necessarily fault Montrose and Tick for keeping this from her because again who would who would believe that who would believe what they witnessed everything they describe sounds like a terrible nightmare so it sucks, but it, it makes sense to not really drag her into that because it would, if I were her, it would just piss me off and it would frustrate me even further. So it's, it's a tough burden to bear, but they chose to bear it. So an interesting thing that happened in that scene was while he was kind of waiting for her to respond, we get like this really, it's quick. We get this quick little time rush and you see the people in the background kind of fast forward with their movement for a split second and it made me wonder like was that a representation of the pause just being fast forwarded or was that like a drunk perception of what was happening either way it was a it was a real dope little thing to throw in there so from there we get Letitia um, kind of sitting in like a in the back of a bar or restaurant being meet, met with by Tick and um, Letitia's losing it Rightfully so. Her house is clearly haunted. Um, she's in this super racist white neighborhood where she doesn't know what in the world is going on. And um, she's trying to connect the dots. Tick, being the good friend that he is and the the solid member of Mystery Incorporated that he is. Like, hey, run it. What you got? Show me what you got. Letty's going through all the pieces of this puzzle that she's come up with from the photos of these faces that don't make any sense and connecting them to the names of black people who who went missing not too far away. Uh, she's she's come to the conclusion that the owner of the house was conducting experiments on kidnapped black people and that their spirits, along with his, were trapped in the house, which in this world of uh, Lovecraft Country it's perfectly feasible. In any other world, it's be like, okay, we, we got to get you some help. But she's seen crazier things. So, obviously, you know, it. this would make perfect sense. And it's clearly feasible. In the midst of this, we get the drop that their encounter, the night of the housewarming, uh, was actually her first time. Which, again, Tick handles very well. And um, we also uh, get the acknowledgement that Tree is a dick because he lied. He, he blatantly lied. And he thought he was cool doing it. So I don't know what it, what the future holds for uh, Tree, but I hope there's some pain involved because dude is clearly the, the asshole of the town and of their, their childhood. And we also get the bomb drop that Letty did die in the previous episode. She died and came back. And she, of course, rightfully is having a hard time coping with that. And more importantly, like, who do you talk to about that? You don't know anybody that's survived that. And it's it's wild. 
Um, but the main thing is she feels like she's losing her mind. And if, if nothing else, she wants to get control of her house back, which leads to desperate measures. We get <laughs> the sacrifice of a poor, poor goat on the front doorstep by this. Uh, I, you don't I, I don't think you're supposed to use the word voodoo anymore, but it's a woman with alternative religious practices. We'll say that um, she slits the throat of the goat spills its blood and uh, makes a mark on their their foreheads of protection and the again i i love i love the the unintentional funny stuff where she goes into the house first to to see what's going on and uh <laughs> they both kind of just look at each other with the oh my god we really have goat blood on our foreheads they just that black people look at each other like this is wild yeah, she wildin'. But let's let's go and see what it's about. So they go down to the basement and they proceed to take part in a ritual that's supposed to exercise the spirits that are trapped within this house. Meanwhile, the white boys of the neighborhood have given up on their their tricks and have gone straight to fuckery. They they slide through the house with bats and they're ready to pretty much just start breaking up people and whatever they find along the way. While they're upstairs, um, our crew is downstairs and things get heavy quick. These spirits are angry and they start possessing the, the, the lady and tossing her up and down. And all I could think was, this is wild. Our crew, as much as I wanted to say, like, they can't seem to catch a break. I am glad they at least got three weeks in between the, the nonsense of the woods. Granted, unfortunately, they lost Uncle George. They at least got three weeks before this craziness would would descend upon them. Cause my God, this was this was just oh straight up horror movie stuff on this. Meanwhile, the white boys are have <laughs> committed white people standards of practice in horror movies. They've split up. <laughs> They've split up because you know that horror movies have taught us that this is this is what they do. Uh, one guy has gone off on his own. He, he goes to the elevator to try and call that up while the other guys get attacked by some baby headed monster and get uh, burnt up by the steam pipes in the room. That foreshadowing we mentioned with the elevator earlier comes back into play when uh, the white guy who goes off on his own is waiting for the elevator to come and gets decapitated gruesomely. But hey, you know, he had it coming. But the, the gore effects on this show Again, try to eat before you watch Lovecraft Country if you can, because you are not going to have a good time. So like I said, the, the spirits have ran up in the house. They've possessed the priestess woman that they've brought to help them. All hell breaks loose. So while all this is happening, uh, the pipes burst. The water washes the marks of protection off of uh, all three of them. Which was a good, which was a, a smooth move, and I'm glad that they called it out. Once, once Letty realizes that, her and Tick try to get up out of there. Um, this unfortunately leaves uh, the the priestess vulnerable, and she gets possessed and tries to tries to choke out Tick. So while this is happening, uh, Letty starts calling out all the names of the missing deceased black people and calling for their help to help banish this spirit of the the white man who tormented them and would not allow them rest and this leads to the dopest bit of acting between uh journey's mullet and jonathan majors we get him 
doing an amazing job of playing this this possessed angry uh spirit manifested in his body and we get her being just this brave heroine in the face of just the greatest adversity calling upon these spirits to help her in removing this this evil spirit from his body and from this house and it's just powerful we get this overlaying uh song of of uh of a spiritual um and it's just it's I don't even have words for it. It's amazing. Like we get, we get everybody in this scene acting their asses off, even for the ghosts who are, who are helping her and regaining their bodies in the process. Majors is, is killing it with being possessed and they vanquish this, this dark force who's dressed up like Colonel Sanders for some crazy reason. They're finally at peace. So props to everyone involved with that, from the actors to the writing to the cinematography. It's powerful. It, you know, Holy Ghost indeed. It, it's amazing. So uh, a dope callback to the opening little message where it said three people would go missing in this house. And we'd find out that those three people missing would be those white guys who didn't make it out alive, which was a very, very pleasant and welcome twist. Letty is being interviewed by a woman who's covering her story on buying this house and offering it up to, to black people as an alternative. And uh, we get the reveal that one, not only is the elevator working, the elevator starts to travel down and we see that the bodies have been disposed of in a new chamber that's currently unseen, but it's it's deep, deep down in the catacombs in the house. And as we're going down, we see the markings in the language of Adam, uh, as a callback from the force field and all the other craziness at the observatory in the previous two episodes. Like I said, we find the bodies and we see a tunnel leading somewhere. So the next scene we get is that silver car from the previous episodes pulling up and Tick watching closely to find that Christina has resurfaced and appears to be in town seems to have uh, purchased um, an office space. She's paid off a man to kind of go on with his business, take the money and run. And it's here we find that the money that was sent to Letty that we initially thought was from her mother was actually from Christina, possibly as a way to kind of make amends for everything she was put through by her father. But as kind of a gesture as it was, the fallout of it, is what makes it messed up because it, it drives that wedge between Letty and Ruby, which is super unfortunate because I'm sure it was an unintentional, but it's still part of the fallout. Um, Tick was able to put this together because it's just like there's no way she could have gotten that much money uh, the way things were between them. And he also pieced together that the guy that owned the haunted house was a member of that cult that her and her father were parts of. And uh, Tick, not playing any games. Pulls a gun. It's like, um, yeah, we, we're not doing this. What are you doing here? What do you want? You need to start answering questions before I get the capping. But he freezes. And we find out that uh, her powers are still in play. We don't know what these powers are, but she has plans of her own and informs Tick that, hey, you're a part of these plans. And uh, one way or another, we're linked and we're going to see this through to the end. And also that you can't just go around killing white women, which was a powerful line to end on. For so many reasons. This is where we get the tie in back to the overall story that we, we left off in the first two episodes. 
And uh, I'm anxious to see what happens next as the episode ends. So, yeah, another heavy one. Our cruise adventures seem to just be beginning. Uh, We're on the hunt for some pages that are missing from a log. And they're needed to hopefully decode the language of Adam. And she feels that Tick and crew need to go get those pages. So who knows what next week is going to bring. I don't have a long-term theory anymore because mine was blown out of the water. Be sure to let me know what you guys think. I don't have a particular favorite uh, line from this one. Probably because there's so much horror. There's not a ton of um, one-liners that are that really stuck with me. Aside from the you, you can't just go around killing white women thing. Which I'm wondering if that's foreshadowing <laughs> as to at some point Tick's going to be like, yes I can. And uh, <laughs> gets the one up. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this recap. I hope you guys are enjoying this series and sticking with it. And I will see you guys next time.